0: I love that I was able to track down this week's podcast guest on a trip home from Dubai, where she seems to be the trainer to royalty and celebrities. Her name is Bernadette, but everyone seems to call her B, a mother of four, trainer, nutritional therapist, functional medicine coach, and dare I mention in her former life a computer engineer. Since her move to Dubai in 2005, she's become a sought after expert in her field, publishing hundreds of articles relating to overall wellness and fitness, nutrition, And she has been published in a ton of magazines and newspapers. She actually hosted, I love this part, a network series on prenatal fitness and nutrition. But I love this part even better is that she's going to be a soon-to-be published author. So her book called Unjunk... How to Raise Healthy Eaters in a Processed World is set to be released this fall. So whether you're trying to work on your digestion or you want to get more energy or you have an opportunity to sleep more, sleep better, reduce your mood swings, this is really going to be one of those podcasts that we're going to try and hit on all of that. So welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And as always, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. Bernadette. So nice to see you. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, we were children when we last saw each other. I should mention, (laughs) just by the fact that you've been in Dubai for the last 14 years Mm -hmm. or so, our lives were connected as children exactly through a sport through gymnastics through
1: gymnastics your mom was my coach it's just so funny how you know it's such a small world <laughs> it really is I, t- I mentioned to my mom that you were coming and she's just, and that was what she
0: said she's like wow that the place is the people mm-hmm. how far the sport has reached and where people are in her lives so that she's like what is she doing out there and I'm like oh well, wait till I tell you <laughs> so because Canadian yes born and raised born and raised How does one, I'm sorry, we were going to do like this full on loop. Go for it. I I find it fascinating where you are in the world that you're living
1: in. Mm Mm-hmm. How on earth did you end up in Dubai? Well, got married. You know, I graduated from here, got married, moved to the Florida. Actually, I was living there for a few years, and moved with my husband's work. He was working with the same company in Florida, and that took him to Dubai for an opportunity. We were supposed to be there only on a two-year project, but talk to anyone in Dubai, that's the same story. It's like we're supposed to be there on a six-month project or a one-year project, and then 14 years later, <laughs> we're you're still, still there. there. Yeah,
0: is it a culture shock going from Dubai home? Like you're home for. While visiting family uh, with the kids, like is it is it a
1: very different? You Life? know the, the, definitely there is, there are big differences um, when I come back I always feel like everything is so close like everything is walking distance and, and everyone's like I have to go somewhere that's 20 minutes away and they say that that's so far and I'm thinking that's my normal commute to go to the grocery store <laughs> you know Dubai is actually quite big and um, you have to travel great distances to get to places so coming back here everything just feels so small again and you can get tech things very quickly which is nice and actually Actually, a lot of people complain about the—it's called the Dubai syndrome—where you you move there, you become an expat, and all of a sudden you gain 10, 15 pounds because you've lost that physical activity where back home you're probably walking to the store, walking on sidewalks, walking around, where you lose that element when you move there. So that's definitely something, a striking difference mm-hmm. between here, here and there. Uh, the other thing that I, I find that's very different, obviously, are the services. And that's really nice. You know, I have four kids and to be able to um, afford, you know, affordable help at home is is a luxury, definitely. that. Uh, that makes it really possible for me to be able to be able to work, to write a mm. book. It just makes things a lot easier. Definitely. I think it's,
0: I think it's fascinating and it's a world and you've it in film and on movies, but you, to hear people's experiences and I've actually started to see a lot more people traveling there. Like it's, a des- it's become a destination Definitely. travel, right? There's not, um, I don't know if it's the political or the religious, like there's still something about Dubai that people are drawn there for the activities and, and the things and the views.
1: Yeah, well, the leadership Desert. there, they have vision. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've made it a touristic destination. Uh, people ask, you know, if we go there, how long should we stay? You can't see it in only a week. There's so much to do. And it's so family friendly. Honestly, I mean, that's really the, the population, the biggest population of people working there are families, young families mm-hmm. who are just starting out as well. So that's the it's catered to that market. And so you can find a lot of family-friendly restaurants, a lot of family-friendly entertainment and venues. There's a lot to do, a lot to see and do. Definitely, you have to come visit.
0: Okay, well, yeah, you're, it's made to sound incredibly tempting and you've actually, you've ended up living a great life there. It wasn't, I think the life that you intended when you were growing up and you know, what you were studying. Cause I'm looking at it like you were, you were a computer engineer. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and yet 80? you're going to have a book published on, on junk and we're talking health and nutrition and wellness. Yeah. So, I mean, you were very active growing up. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you did competitive gymnastics and and a number of other sports after you retired
1: from gymnastics. So health and wellness always part of your lifestyle. It's always been my passion. It's always been my... Uh, My mission to help others live healthier active lifestyles and I think I'm the perfect example of someone can always reinvent themselves and it's never too late. I have never left school and I always, you know, I joke about it. I say I'm the hashtag forever student. Um, I haven't stopped studying. I haven't stopped learning. And for me, it's every time I learn more, that's more for me to be able to share with others. And that's why I've developed these platforms like my website and online social media to be able to share all this knowledge that I have that have accumulated over these years from the different mm-hmm. elements, you know, from being a computer engineer. You know, I don't regret studying engineering because it really did shape the way I think. I'm very analytical in the way I think and the way I process information. Um, and so that's helped me in, in many different areas of my life. So I don't regret it, um, but absolutely health and fitness was my passion and it was my mission to help others live healthier lifestyles. And it wasn't until I had my firstborn in Florida that I decided, okay, I have to go back and study and do something that, that I love, that is my passion. You didn't love the computer engineering. I didn't. I was miserable for two years <laughs> working <laughs> in high tech, taking apart computers. You know, doing programs, software engineering, coding. It just wasn't my thing. I'm a people person. I want to be helping people. Yeah, I, I w- cannot picture you. You know, in a yeah. back room taking apart a computer and trying but to figure I did out it. how to re- you know I did it program. for two years. And you know, through, it's funny because throughout those two years, I'd be sitting in my cubicle thinking about my colleague next to me, how to get her healthy or how to get him healthy, and giving them tips. You know, I was still doing that, even though my career was in engineering. I was still my mind, my mindset was on helping other people get healthier. Even in university, studying computer engineering, I was teaching kickboxing classes to university students <laughs> as a hobby, you know, but I really turned it into my career when I decided to um, go back to university and I did my master's in exercise science and health promotion. That was the first step towards becoming a personal trainer and and more in line with my passion. Did you feel it
0: necessary to have the education to back you? I mean, there's a lot of people now you look on Instagram, right? Everyone's an Instagram fitness coach. Mm -hmm. They're showing, you know, workouts. But yet when you have the education and the science behind it, it gives you an added value.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I never and I never thought of it as I have to have this. In order to be seen as credible, um, I just thought I needed this knowledge, and I wanted to learn as much as I could. And you know, getting it from an educational establishment is is the best way to do that. And so, it's just been adding layers to my level of knowledge throughout the years. And then I got to a point where I was training you know, celebrities and training royalty. And I never, ever had to market myself. That's one thing that I realized that really comes easiest to me was word of mouth, you know, right. Okay. So let's do that. So you're in Florida,
0: you're doing your computer engineering, you go back to school, you have your firstborn and oops, oh my God, we're going to Dubai. And so you <laughs> end up in Dubai because we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about the Royal family in London here. We're talking about like, cause the Royals, in Dubai, like it's yep. in the UAE. Yeah. It's, it's very different. Yeah. It's so how, so you've moved to Dubai. Yeah. How on earth does one have access or did you get, how did I start? How did you
1: start? Seriously. Literally, literally it started with a talk that I gave. Um, they were having a well-being conference and I spoke and I got up on stage and I did what I did do and and educate people and that's after that talk I got my first client my first personal training client and then it just started to grow from there I got into magazines um, I again I was teaching classes in gyms and I was getting clients from that and it just started to grow naturally and I never ever had to market it was that one talk that led to that one client that led to the second client and on and on it went that way okay how does how does a royal client get mixed in there? Um, it was again, through word of mouth, they found my number, contacted me and, uh, there was initial chemistry right away and it just started. And so she passed my details on to her sister and then to her cousin. And so your name just gets passed on through word of mouth. Really. Is there the same interest there that there
0: is here on health wellness, how we take care of ourselves, the information that we
1: want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's an even bigger problem there um, in terms of health and well-being, only because, like I said, it's a, it's it's pretty sedentary. You don't have many opportunities to train, and especially with the cultural differences. Looking at my local, the local population, mm-hmm. um, you know, they are quite segregated in terms of access to gyms. They need to have ladies only facilities and are more comfortable in ladies only facilities they don't have to but you know they have to be properly covered and it can become a little bit of a nuisance training in in full gear it's much more comfortable you know to be training in your shorts and t-shirts so they ha- and can they do that when it is in a a female-only female only Yeah, absolutely. And so they do. They do cater to that. There are days that are, you know, female-only um, training sessions where you can go, you feel free, ladies only, and they can be completely comfortable in their own clothes. Um, so they do cater to that. But it just becomes more difficult for the local population to continue to stay active once they hit that. Uh, age where they have to cover. And so uh, it does become more problematic. And so the services start coming to them instead. So personal training is Mm -hmm. really in demand where they want people to come to them. It's much easier. Um, And so I was actually doing at one point, I was having families get together and we were training the whole family together, which was a lot of fun. It's interesting. Yeah.
0: I, I, okay. I'm going to ask this question. I don't know if it but aesthetically, when, you know, a lot of times people in North America, you're working at so you feel and you look good mm-hmm. in clothes, right? You want to look like you're in shape. When you're covered, yeah. is there still that
1: same... Oh, yeah. they Because, I mean, they get together. They, they okay. get together behind closed doors, right? With uh, ladies' events or family events. And it's just when they go out in public that they would, you know, put on the hijab and, and you know, walk out in public. But uh, behind closed doors, they're just like you and I today, you know. And they uh, have the same body image <laughs> issues that all of us have. <laughs> when you're
0: looking at the information that you're sharing, I know you have this audience... In Dubai, but a lot of it is coming back to North America, right? Mm-hmm. You're writing this book on junk. It, it, it really has the focus on the processed foods and what we're doing to our kids here yeah. in North America. So it does translate both ways. So let's kind of go through some of that. And what was the idea? I know now as a mother of four, mm-hmm. you know, as much as exercise came into play when you were looking at writing this book,
1: what was the idea and why did you feel the need for it? Really, the idea came to me when. I started realizing that a lot of people were asking me the same questions. Parents kept coming to me asking me, what do you feed your kids and how can I get my kids to eat healthier? You know, it happened with a client who had a 12-year-old obese son. That was really when the light bulb moment happened for me. But I realized, I'm like, I get asked this question a lot, doing what it is that I do and knowing that, they ha- that I have children, they wanna know what is it that I feed my kids and how can I help them get their kids to eat healthier? Because society, again, is not helping parents raise healthy eaters, because it's everywhere, right? You have the birthday parties, you have the concession stands, after the school uh, activities, or after the activities, you know, you'll have the vending machines, uh, guests come over, visitors in Dubai, it's a very transient country, so you're constantly having people come in and out, and it's a polite thing to do, is to bring something from the duty-free, and what do they offer at the duty-free but junk food? So it's a constant bombardment that parents face today, um, and I'm sure this happens here as well. Not just in Dubai, um, but birthday parties. I don't know about here, but over there, it's it's more than just a once in a while occurrence. It can happen every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing. Does it happen here as well? Well, it, it does. <laughs> right? You've got the
0: birthday gift. You got the the birthday party. Then you got the loot bag. I exactly. Mean, it's just, and then what are you filling with all those things? You're you're tossing in whatever is exactly is, is going to be easiest. Exactly. So you had a lot of people asking, and so when you're dealing with the twelve a client with a twelve year old obese son, mm-hmm. that's that's a massive that's going to be a massive shift in changing behavior
1: yeah absolutely and, and the other thing that made me want to write this book was the fact that I realized that just a little bit of education and awareness raising a child's level of awareness can have such a huge impact it, it have an, an impact on adult but even more so on children I'll give you an example we we went to Florida with my uh, my sister and her and her and her kids she has three kids and at the time the boys were 13 and 15 and the week that we spent together we were we we got a big villa we were all living mm-hmm. together in the same house they got to see the difference between how they eat and how my kids eat because we live apart right we don't get to they don't get to see the cousins very often and so when we that week that was spent living together they saw a, a really big difference and they started making fun of me their health nut aunts you know about giving my kids their green smoothies in the morning making sure they take their multivitamins and other weird things like you know, olive oil soap and fluoride free toothpaste you know so they were making fun of me but they were curious and so i used every moment of that trip as a teaching opportunity by show of example And at the end of the trip, you know, we went our separate ways about a week after I called my sister, we were Skyping and she's like, what did you do to the boys? And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, my heart sunk. I'm like, oh, oh, did I say something? Did I do something? And she says, they're making a conscious effort to read labels, to they ditch their sodas or drinking more water. Um, And so I made an impact on them. And that was in one short week. And that made me realize, like, wow, you know, just a little bit of knowledge, a bit of education, telling them what GMO is. And and that, no, organic food doesn't necessarily mean healthy. And, you know, a little bit of tips here and there that we, you know, spent together. Were you surprised at that age when you're talking like 14, 15 years old that they
0: had very little understanding? Like, I have, I have taken a glass of water. Yeah. And taken 15 teaspoons of sugar and <laughs> put those into the glass of water and then given it to my kids and said, do you want to drink this? Right? And, right. and and made the example, this is what you're having when you ask for a Coke. Exactly. Right. So I've done that. And so there are certain things that messages have gone through, but you would have said like for your, for your nephews, this hadn't ever been, Well,
1: but, but this is exact, this no. is my point, right? So you're bringing in that level of awareness where if they didn't know this, if they didn't realize how much sugar is in that soda, they just think, oh, it takes good. Mm -hmm. But when you instill that level of awareness into a child, they think about it and they don't want it. And so it becomes much easier for the parent, instead of the parent saying, no, you can't have it, teach them why they shouldn't be having it. And that's the whole point of Unjunk. It's teaching parents, giving them the tools to educate their children in a simple, easy, understandable manner through exercises like the one you just explained. Okay. I'm a parent though, Mm -hmm. that lives a healthy lifestyle and wants to
0: educate my children and want them to grow up kind of in the same mentality of, you know, health, wellness, lifestyle. How hard is it to get a parent to purchase a book like Unjunk if they're not actually even
1: remotely in that headspace either? It's for that parent. It's exactly for that parent because I literally take you through eight chapters. It's a step-by-step. Every chapter gives you a new layer, new information, new exercises, new tips to actually practically implement them into your uh, family life. And immediately transform your your family's health, because it's it's a quite it's a it's a practical uh, book with very practical examples, and um, it's exactly for that parent. Because you know when I'm walking down the street and I see overweight children, you know I remember growing up, and we had that one overweight child in class. Now it's the norm. You know, we're seeing more and more overweight children and there's definitely a problem and society needs to wake up. We need to make a change. And parents need to realize that they have a lot more power in cre- creating this change across society than they, than they believe, you know, by looking at ingredients, by purchasing and bringing home the right foods. And even, you know, that's one element of the book, but even feeding styles, you know, I dive into that. Okay, and teach let's of into parents. Parents feeding styles because I haven't talked about feeding styles
0: on this podcast.
1: Yeah, so it's very similar to eating styles, um, but they've categorized for feeding styles. So you can have the authorita- authoritarian style, which is the, you know, eat what I make mm-hmm. or, you know, take that last bite or else you don't get that dessert. Uh, it's very commanding. You know, it's commanding. It's telling your child what they have to do. Um, that you also have the permissive feeding style. That's the parent who just gives their child... Free reign to choose what they want to eat, when they want to eat, where they want to eat. You know, then you also have the neglectful feeding style, which is the parent who's very busy. You know, they they don't mean harm, but they work a lot. They don't have time to prepare meals. And it's last minute, buying things on the way home from the supermarket. And then you have the authoritative feeding style, which is rules with love. There are boundaries, you know. So you give choices, but then they're within boundaries. So you tell the child, what would you like to have for dinner, this or this? You give them the choice, but they're within boundaries. You have a designated eating space. You have a a designated feeding schedule. So we should all strive to lean towards the authoritative feeding style. And so throughout this chapter that I discuss this is I give parents um, tips to how to implement uh, a more authoritative feeding style.
0: Does this apply? I know right now that we're talking about doing this with families and children, but does this even apply to a person, a single person living, you know, on their own that they can take oh, yeah. items and things. So they might not have to sit down and be authoritative with someone sitting at their table, but there are steps
1: that this will appeal. Well, it's interesting. Not just those that have the, the kids running around in the house. Yeah. It's interesting because. Our feeding style actually comes from our own upbringing. So we are either exactly the way our parents were with us, and so that's the we parent, or we want to be make that conscious effort and be the exact opposite. And that requires a conscious effort to, to change our ways. And so, you know... Uh, The the feeding styles, science has has shown that it can lead to certain behaviors towards food. So those who have a poor relationship with with food, it can be because of their feeding style growing up. So those who had an authoritarian feeding style or those who had a permissive feeding style, science has shown that they tend to have a poor relationship with food and a poor ability to self-regulate. So they don't know their hunger and their full signals, right? Because someone is telling them, eat until you're done as opposed to allowing the child to self-regulate and know when they're full and stop. So this can lead to um, behaviors towards food that we are instilling in our children growing up. Mm-hmm. So I want parents to be prepared and kind of do a little bit of inner reflection before they jump into the rest of the chapters to kind of self-reflect on their um, feeding styles with their children, and also recognize their children's eating personalities, because that also depends on each individual child, as well as their milestones in life. Because as you know, how old are your children now? They're older. Uh, they're 14 and 11. Yeah, so you know, I mean, they go through stages, you know, when they're babies, they're super eaters, they'll try everything you give them, and then all of a sudden they hit two, three years old, and <laughs> then they don't like anything, and they say no to everything, and they're, they're showing their independence. So these are normal stages that children go through parents need to recognize that children go through different milestones. And so if you get frustrated, my child is not eating anything, take a step back and go, is it maybe just a a milestone that they're hitting? Mm. It's just a phase that they have to go through, right? So these are the things that I also delve into to kind of reassure parents that, you know, we all have that guilty... Feeling so you have four children.
0: Yes. I'm assuming with very four different palates. And, oh, and I feel like for a lot of the parents, I feel sometimes when I listen to them in their dinner hour, like it's like that there was a restaurant, like someone ordered this, and the other kid Absolutely. ordered this, and then the next thing you know, they've they've created three Short different meals. Kind of going, what What are you doing? Yeah, they become short order cooks. And, and, then that's resent, where-
1: and then you kind of, then you become resentful and then you don't want to be in the kid, And then this, then the spiral. Exactly. Starts. And then you just give up. And right. that was exactly my sister um, with her kids is they were extremely picky. Each one, you know, wanted, had an opinion. There was never anything she made that appealed to everyone. Um, so this is where the authoritative feeding style really can help. And so it doesn't matter. You can have one child, you can have four children. With an authoritative feeding style, when you set a schedule, an eating place, giving choices, setting a, um, a feeding calendar, for example, if everybody's given a choice of a meal, then the resistance of, oh, I don't want to have this, well, you say, well, okay, tonight it wasn't your choice, but tomorrow your item is on the menu. It kind of creates balance at home. And so you don't end up losing your mind, you know, catering to five different palates.
0: In some of the chaps that you have, uh, understanding the food industry. mm mm-hmm. Which it's a deadly beast. <laughs> am, I, am I allowed to say that? It yeah, is a massive is. machine that has tried to educate and trick us and do a number of different things with mm-hmm. us, right? We had the whole no, no fat when really it was just everything was high in sugar, right? And so now we're looking at the sugars and the fats okay. Like they're constantly bombarding us with yeah.
1: information really just to under yeah. understand their bottom line, right? Yeah. Exactly. And that's why I felt the real need to dedicate a whole chapter to understanding the food industry Uh, because you have to, in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been, right? You have to understand the past. And so I take readers through the whole century of how our food has evolved. So the evolution of the modern diet, where it was and where we have, where we are now. And it really is a grim reality, And I'm not sugarcoating anything. I want people to know why it is that we have so many labels and so many categories for food today. You know, we have organic, biodynamic, industrial organic, local organic, GMO, conventional, right? There's so many different categories that it's become so confusing because food was just food in the past. You grow it, you eat it. Now it's been... Like you were saying, so processed and, and it really has changed and evolved over the centuries because of certain events, like the war, for example. It was because of World War II um, that they created hydrogenated oils because they needed something to last the voyage overseas to send food to their soldiers. So it wasn't to, so it wasn't set out to, you know, hurt our health mm-hmm. and damage our hearts. It was created out of a need and so were a lot of other these products even processed foods you know when people left farmlands there and and moved to factories people had no no time to cook anymore and so convenience foods were needed and so that's when they started milling grains and creating processed foods and flour Uh, they started realizing that people were becoming sick and uh, you know Berry berry and pellagra and all these diseases started emerging because of nutrient deficiencies from these processed foods. And so food fortification programs began, and that's where fortification of foods began. That's why you see milk with, you know, fortified with vitamin D and vitamin K and cereals fortified with vitamin C and all these nutrients because they realized that processed food was void in nutrients and causing nutritional deficiencies. So again, it's not because they were seeking to hurt people's health, Um, but it was out of a need. Unfortunately, we don't have that need anymore, and it's still around. (laughs) And that's what people need to understand, that we don't need these foods anymore, and we need to go back to the way foods were. At a time when you used to just take an organic seed, plant it in good soil, um, you know, biodiversity, having many crops, not just one crop, which is the way we have today, you know, good filtered water clean sun and then food grows naturally through mother nature and I think if you bring it back to basics food becomes pretty simple you know eat what the sun touches what the earth brings us what we can kill on land or a fish in the sea and um, really avoid anything man-made God, I love that. I, I, I'm interested to see what that chapter is like. You know, to, yeah. to be able to
0: understand that. So you kind of go through this, and then you talk about the labeling. Uh, I, can I hit on a little bit on the sweet sweet temptation? Yeah, because of course. I think, I think sweet temptations is really the biggest battle mm-hmm. um, that many people face, not just our kids. Yeah, exactly. But all of us. And so in that, I grew chapter, up never having dessert. Like dessert was not an option. And what about today? Compare it today to today. There's no dessert in the house. Okay, but it was a long. It was a process. Like. There is, like they can go and the the kids will always ask, can I have something sweet or something, mm-hmm. but it's not like there's a planned, right? there's never a planned dessert. They can just go in and get
1: something sweet. If- but what about outside of the home? Do you feel that there's a difference in the amount of sweets available outside of home when you go to other people's homes, for example, or...
0: Yeah, but it's, it's when you're like entertaining. But like, even when I'm entertaining, I totally forget to buy dessert. It is. Because yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. not part it's of not, my. It's, not, it's not, right. not part of me. So I always forget. And so when people say, What can I bring? then I'm usually like, Oh do dessert. Cause I don't, you don't you know, do that.
1: I don't really do that. Yeah. Right. But it is a huge problem. And I mean, I think it's not just desserts per se, but it's hidden sugars. Uh, and that's something that I want to highlight uh, in the book. And I want people to know in that chapter is that uh, in, in things like breads, in ketchup, in condiments, you know, in cereals, uh, pseudo sugars as well. So these are foods that act like sugar in the body, aren't necessarily white table sugar, but in the body act like sugar and can have the same effect. And that's things like white rice and breads and pastas and pretzels and crackers and all these pseudo sugars, that's what I call them, Mm -hmm. can spike blood sugar just as much as white table sugar. And then you have obviously the healthier sweeteners like um, honey and maple syrup and coconut sugar, but they're still sugar in the body. They will still act the same way. Yes, they have more nutrients, mm-hmm. but they do still act the same way in the body. So I take the reader through this journey again of how to calculate sugar because again when you when you look at a product and you want to go okay how much sugar does this product have you look at the grams but that doesn't mean anything to people so i i explain how to translate that into teaspoons and i could share it right now with your listeners and it's a very simple division so you divide the grams of sugar so one teaspoon is equal to four grams so on the product you would divide it by four to get the number of teaspoons so let's say it's 24 grams of sugar, you divide that by four at six teaspoons. And then you could immediately visualize what six teaspoons of sugar would look like. And I even encourage parents to, you know, grab a cup like you did and measure out six teaspoons. And oftentimes, Children are very shocked, adults are shocked and it's enough to kind of go, okay, let's start examining our labels, let's start looking at our sugar content. And you want to aim for a percentage of sugar that's less than 20% in a product. And you do that by looking for the grams of um, sugar and the grams of the total carbohydrates and you just do a quick uh, division to find the percentage. Uh, of sugar so, in that product. So you
0: do that. So when you're talking about sugars, because I've had other people that have sat here and said anything underneath the what the actual ingredients are mm-hmm. doesn't matter as much because if you can't even understand if that first couple of items on, on that nutrition label are, are words are things you don't know how to pronounce. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they are then toss it right away. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com.
1: Well, okay, that's a good way of looking at it, but I take it a step further and I want people to understand those ingredients that they don't understand because many of those ingredients that they don't understand are hidden names for sugar. (laughs) Right. Right. So I actually give people a list you know, of 79, 80 names. And there's a lot more of hidden sugars uh, that can be used, Uh, not just sugar, but you know other things like sorbitol and even sugar alcohols uh, that don't necessarily have to be listed in the uh, nutrition facts label, but have to be listed in the ingredients. So just being aware of these things. If it says that it's a sugar-free product, then you're guaranteed that it's going to have sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, or sugar alcohols in the product. And again, it's not something that you would want to be having uh, because these can cause, um, you know, digestive upset for a lot of people. Kids too? Yeah, absolutely. So sugar alcohols are not as easily absorbed through the intestinal tract into the into the bloodstream. And so it can cause irritation. And actually sorbitol has been shown, I think it's 30 or 50 milligrams of uh, sorbitol can cause diarrhea. And you'll often see it in sugar-free candy, uh, fat-free candy. And sugar-free candy, they'll have a little disclaimer that say it may cause... You know, intestinal discomfort.
0: <laughs> and it's tough, right? because you think you're you're trying to be as a parent make the right decisions, and so you're looking for things that are having this and and you know, the next yeah. thing you know, some of these products are actually having the side effects uh, on others. Okay, so those were kind of some of the um the subjects in this book. Um, I like the chapter the dealing with resistance to change
1: because
0: mm-hmm. this is when this is where the friction. Yeah. I would think occurs.
1: Yeah. So I, I want parents to know that it's not going to be easy. I mean, you're going to be making changes. And I encourage parents, you know, I go through one chapter. where I'm like, these are all the things you need to avoid. And then the next chapter is, okay, let's go to the supermarket and I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to be buying. So look for this, look for that. This is the brand that I recommend. This is the store you can get it from. But then you can do all that. You could take your child to the supermarket, buy all these healthier alternatives, come home. And then your child takes one bite and goes, I don't want it, Mm. (laughs) you know, and and then doesn't want it at all. And then you're stuck with, okay, well, now what do I give them? So it's normal. It's going to be part of the process. And that's why I dedicated a whole chapter to dealing with the resistance to change because children need, they say it actually takes 15 exposures to a, a new food for a child to accept it. And what do parents do? Maybe one, twice, three times max, and then right. we give up. Nope, our child doesn't like it. So it's important that... 15. 15. 15 exposures. So you have to be super persistent with kids. And if, it's, if your children are really not accepting healthy food, keep trying. That's honestly the best tip I can give you. You have to keep... Even if they just lick it, taste it, put it on their lips, let them touch it, feel the texture those exposures count. And I mean, take yourself as an example, as a child, were there certain foods that you didn't like that now you love as an adult. Absolutely. Yeah. Our taste buds change. And so you can expect that to happen with your children as well. So don't think that my children only loves carbs and won't touch protein or vegetables, you know, and so you only give them pastas and you only give them rice. Encourage, have that food that they absolutely love, have it there as their comfort, but encourage them to taste these different foods. And always encourage one new food at a time. You know, Don't make it this full plate with nothing that they like on it, because that's just going to cause stress at mealtimes. Make sure that they do have something that they do enjoy, but encourage that they taste that new food first. So as many exposures as possible. Then the other thing is you have to be the example. You know, we can't expect our children to eat Brussels sprouts (laughs) if we're not eating them ourselves. And I I say this a lot, but, uh, you know, I I can't tell you the number of times I make a plate and I make my children the same plate, but they want to eat my plate. (laughs) Somehow it looks better on mom's plate.
0: (laughs) But it's also better when you're not showing your plate and then they have something completely different on it, which often happens, right? You've got the kids meals and
1: you've got the adult meals. Well, and I encourage that we all eat the same. And that's uh, going back to the authoritative feeding styles. You make one meal for the family and the whole family eats from it. And the other thing is serve family style meals. So you put the food on the table and let the children pour it for themselves. If they're old enough, obviously you help the younger ones. But for older children, let them serve themselves, you know, from the food that's on the table. But you make one meal with a few options for everybody to choose from.
0: What was the response to the idea for the book? I mean, I know the release is coming out uh, Mm -hmm. in the fall. Just to be able to know that there was so much information and to be able to start writing it, putting in chapters, like how long of,
1: of, of a process was creating this? You know, this is interesting because my book was actually an online course a few years ago. So I developed this as an online course two years ago. and. Unfortunately, we had a communication ban in the UAE and I wasn't able to run the course anymore. And I had just started it and I got so I got amazing feedback from the course and I didn't want to just pull the plug on it. It was just sitting there for a whole year. And you know, I was telling a friend of mine, you know, I have this course and I from that course I was giving participants a recipe collection to be able to make healthier alternatives. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there. And I said, it's, it's like a book waiting to be written. And she looked at me and she says, you totally should turn this into a book. And I'm going to introduce you to a publisher. And that was it. You know, she she made the the introduction. Mm-hmm. The publisher loved the idea. And I actually ori- originally uh, pitched just a recipe, that, that recipe mm-hmm. collection. And she says, no, I want the full lifestyle, the full program that you're giving as a book. And so that's exactly what I've done, is I turned that course um, to a book, so it was well received as right. a, as a
0: course. So it's interesting, though. But it was because it was written, written as a course. It's almost like as you're going through the chapters, you're it's like you're taking this course, right? It's exactly. Like, it's like you're checking off the checklist, making certain adjustments, studying a certain aspect. Exactly. Uh, so I can see that it would actually have. It would, it would read well and work well as people being able to implement it as they're doing
1: it. And it was great because I got that feedback from the participants who did do the mm-hmm. course and they, it changed, they did. Every single one had successful results in helping their kids eat healthier. So it was a successful course. And so I'm really excited to turn this, to have turned this into mm-hmm. a book and be able to reach a much larger audience. You are reaching an audience
0: now though, based on just your social media and even on your Instagram. And mm-hmm. so I was going through it and looking at it And realizing that you have so many, like each post, it's kind of like, here's one option. Here's how you change it. Here's one way of looking at things. Here's how you change it. And I hope you don't mind, but I want to talk a little bit because you do bring in toxins and things in the house. Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, and gosh, you mentioned it when you were talking about your nephews that you were using this fluoride toothpaste. Like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I'm coming back to that. And I know that it's something that you have done in terms of What's in your home that you have automatically swapped out for other things?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing is cleaning products. I mean, I've just ditched. That was the first switch that I made. Um, And why? Again, just trying to go toxic-free, knowing... Uh, just from the learning that I've had over the years, I know that we are bombarded with a lot of toxins, and yes, our body is designed to handle them, so I don't want to scare people in thinking like we're doomed, mm-hmm. but try as much as possible to reduce the toxic burden on the liver, on you know our detoxification system, which is you know we, we poop it out, we pee it out, and we sweat it out. Um, and these are processed through the body through these streams, but there are ways that we can help our body detoxify, and that's by minimizing the burden. And We are exposed to everyday toxins. Now, we can't do anything about the environment. Of course, we can recycle and we can, you know, do all these things to help overall. But immediately at home, look at the things that you use on a day-in, day-out basis. So that's hygiene products, things that you put on your skin. And I always tell people, your skin is your largest mouth. It's you absorb things through your skin a lot more than you do through your mouth. Because when it goes through the mouth, it goes through the digestive system, it goes through the liver, it actually gets filtered. Anything you put on your skin immediately goes into circulation into the bloodstream. You don't have that filter. So it becomes even more important to look at your skincare products, your makeup, your shampoo, your soaps, your deodorants, things that you use on a day-to-day basis. I always encourage my clients uh, to, you know, go visit ewg.org, environmental, environmental working group, and look at the products that you use on a day-to-day basis and check for their toxicity rating. Anything that's over a three, you know, you want to aim for a one and a two on a toxicity score from one to 10, anything that's three, four, five and above. If you're using that on a day in day out basis, you're bringing in a lot of toxins into the body. So look for brands that use less toxic ingredients because they exist. You just have to look for them you have to know about it to look for them. So that's the level of awareness that I'm trying to instill in people and give these resources to people. Okay. So there's three items that people can change. Okay. We're going to put like,
0: we're going to put the call out, right? There's (laughs) listening to this, right? And I, and I like the explanation of when it goes through our mouth, it has a process of Mm -hmm. being filtered out. When it goes through the skin, it's going straight into the bloodstream three things what would be your top 3 then cuz you've just listed 10 okay but where do you think the critical ones are like that you 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 by making
1: this change you're yeah. you're doing something well good. i'm going to take myself an example okay. the first three things that i changed was household products okay so i just ditched the house cleaning spray that you use on the countertops and i just got a a, a spray bottle vinegar water. That's it. When I wash my fruits and vegetables, it's vinegar, water, baking soda. Those are my cleaning products. So you save a lot. And then you could use that money towards organic food. Everyone complains that it's so expensive. Just, you know, divert, you know, reallocate your resources and your finances. Um, The second thing that I changed was my deodorant. I've been making my own homemade deodorant for years. And my husband, It's funny. So I'm like, I'm like the weird one in the family. And my husband's like the normal person. (laughs) So um, if I can get him to change, then I know I can get other people to change. So uh, when I finally got him to try the deodorant, and he was like, you know what, it's actually better then the other deodorants, I'm like, hallelujah. Okay. I can get other people to change now. And I, and that's when I actually did a post on my deodorant and I gave the recipe of how you can make it. And it's so easy. It's coconut oil, baking soda, and tea tree oil and arrowroot powder. And you just mix that together. And then I give another version for those who are sensitive to baking soda. You could use it with zinc, zinc powder. So I offer that also uh, in my post on, on Instagram. And is it, it was on there but is it through the armpits because of the lymph nodes?
0: Like, why was that such? Th- yeah, because you went to well, you went to the deodorant before you went to the skin cream. The yeah, everything
1: yeah. else like that was the first place you went. So I did have a scare. Um, I did have. Uh, enlarged lymph nodes, and I did have a lump in my breast, and that was like a big wake-up call. Luckily, it was nothing; it was just hormones, and um, it was a cyst, you know, that that grew. Um, so again, but these are these are these are signs uh, that our body's constantly talking to us and giving us symptoms and signs that something is not right. And so I took that as a big sign. And again, as I learned more, I now, I now understand why my body had developed these cysts, um, and I've been able to rectify that and reverse that process, but that was the first scare. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know what? I don't want to be putting these deodorants that have aluminum in them. The antiperspirants have aluminum and it's a heavy metal and uh, heavy metals. You do not want to have that circulating around in your body. And I just literally did a post on, um, You know, a a lot of aluminum in baking products.
0: Right. Okay. And I saw that one. I think I saw the one in the kitchen, Yeah. right? Like it went immediately to the pans and to the
1: baking. So go, go there. Yeah. So your aluminum foil, you know, a lot of people still cook in aluminum pans or they'll cook on aluminum foil, especially when aluminum is heated and it's in contact with food, then that's directly giving the body a source of aluminum. So uh, especially acidic foods like tomato, um, I do my kale chips on... Um, so switch to parchment paper. Okay. Unbleached parchment paper. So that's the that's the swap out. Yeah, that's the very easy swap out, mm-hmm. right? To just get rid of aluminum. And uh, baking powder will have aluminum. So you want to get a baking powder that is aluminum free. Um, and... Uh, But we throw aluminum on, like, then I'm thinking, okay, so I
0: put my asparagus and my broccoli in (laughs) aluminum, fold it up and put a little oil and
1: salt in the oven to my husband and I put it on the barbecue. Okay. So for that, what I would do is put it in parchment paper first and then wrap it in the aluminum so that it's not touching the food directly. So that's a way you can hack it. Okay. Yeah. That's one way. And then I think there's silicone that is like resistant to high heat Mm -hmm. that you can use on the barbecue that can be used instead. But I, that's the way I would do it, is I just wouldn't let the aluminum foil touch the touch the food. So you have it in the parchment paper? Parchment paper first, and then yeah. wrap it over over top. Interesting. Yeah. But
0: the parchment paper can do the trick for anything that's going in the oven. Yeah, exactly. It's a small swap. Small, small swap, swap big, big and, difference. And then you were talking about the baking, like cupcakes and cakes, like when we put them in...
1: In the aluminum pan. Yeah. So same thing. So I would line... So I, I mean, I have aluminum mm-hmm. tins, but I would... I'd, I've started using glass, so you could use a glass okay. tin instead, or... Um, Put your parchment paper in the pan so that, again, the batter is not touching the aluminum. It's, it's on the paper. The other thing that a lot of people today are now doing are those capsules of coffee In those little aluminum cases. Yes. (laughs) Right? And that's getting really heated and the coffee's going right through it. Nice dose of aluminum coming right through. (laughs) Those are like the pods. Those are like every that's like That's the new thing now, right? Right. It's not that's not going away, Bernadette. Well, I encourage people, and I'm not telling people don't drink your coffee, but you go get your nice, fresh, organic coffee beans. Because again, coffee is one of the highest crops, pesticide sprayed crops in the world, really high in pesticides. So get a nice, organic bean, um, grind it yourself, get a machine that does the grind and brew. And that's what I got for my husband because he loves his coffee. I don't drink coffee, but he does. Okay. Uh, like I said, he's the normal person. So, um, so that's what I got for my husband and it works and he loves his, his morning coffee without the,
0: without, the I, I didn't cancels. even think about the aluminum yeah, in the yeah It's everywhere. No.
1: Okay. I, I'm, <laughs> I just, I've just brought
0: in your Instagram cause I was kind of going through it cause I remember going and going through so much stuff. I like the, uh, how to fix, what do you refer to as leaky brain?
1: Yeah. So leaky brain is basically, so you've heard of leaky gut. Mm -hmm. Right. So leaky gut is this is basically hyperintestinal permeability, which means the junctions in our intestinal tract uh, become a little bit loose and allows toxins, food particles, uh, microbes to go into the bloodstream. It could cause an immune response and lead to downstream consequences. We don't want to have a leaky gut. The way I like to explain it is like a picket fence for people to be able to imagine this, where you have a nice, beautiful picket fence and one of the fence pieces is broken. So you have a larger gap. When you have that larger gap, then things can go through, right? And um, there are certain things that cause that. And leaky, leaky gut can lead to leaky brain. So what that is, is the blood-brain barrier is not supposed to allow things to go in. And when it becomes leaky, then that can lead to uh, brain inflammation and then mental health issues, you know, the brain fog, the depression, the anxiety, and all of these things that are very, very prevalent today. So the two are completely connected. The gut and the brain are one. And so if someone is having mental health issues, I Im- I immediately go and look at the gut health first and
0: foremost. Okay, so when I look at this post, so it's where you want to maximize. So it's maximizing certain foods and minimizing others that are finding their way into as you would mention, mm-hmm. like the little crack in the fence yeah. that are making their way into yeah. the into the stream. All right, so we've got on your how to fix. Let's go with the maximize. It's pretty I mean, I'm going to go right off the bat with things that, but vegetables, good quality proteins, healthy fats, like your avocados, and then you, sun, exercise, but then there's a couple of other things I want to hit on. So you have, um, turmeric or, um curcumin Uh and turmeric, um, matcha tea, and you have chamomile tea. Those are three additional ones to this
1: list. Yeah. So those ones have been shown in literature to help with brain health specifically. So this is why I added these. There are a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of medicine in nature, and uh, this is why I I like to share these things. You know, food is medicine, um, and you can either help you or it can hurt you. You just have to be choosing the right ones. And so curcumin is, has the most evidence-based literature. I mean, it, it fixes almost everything. It's anti-cancer, it's anti-inflammatory, um, so many benefits to curcumin. And it's the, that curcumin is the compound found in turmeric, that yellow spice found in, commonly found in Indian cooking. Um, and you can find it um, in supplement form But again, the market has been saturated, flooded with curcumin. So you have to make sure that you get one that either has uh, bioperine or piperine, which is um, a black pepper extract for better absorption. Or it has to be a phytosome, so the um, the technology used in the curcumin allows your body to better absorb it. Mm-hmm. And so the brand that I recommend usually to my clients is Mariva. So that's a brand of curcumin that you can find. Um, it's a trademarked. Um, okay. But that Minimum. one, the chamomile and the matcha. But then on the
0: other side, to minimize like what's not helping, mm-hmm. sugar, artificial sweeteners, gluten, alcohol, heavy metals, gut infections, yeah. stress, and
1: EMF radiation. Yeah. All of these will affect the, br- the blood-brain barrier and can cause leakiness, right? And allow... Uh, the picture for to EMF was the cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> Is- yeah. I mean, it's something we don't see and it's not talked about a lot. Um, but it's around us everywhere. And so, you know, especially when, you know, we put phones directly to your head. I don't know if you've seen this picture, people can Google it, where it's it's an image of two brains uh, with radiation directly to the ear, especially in a a child's head, it goes like almost all the way across. Um, And in in an adult brain, it kind of goes a quarter way through. So these are definitely affecting Brain health, absolutely. And so I encourage people to use either EMF blocking earphones, um, headset, or put it on air, uh, not airplane mode, put it on speakerphone. Mm. When you're using to talk on the phone, avoid putting it, especially when it makes a connection. So when it's ringing and then the person picks up, that's when there's a spike of EMF radiation. Just make sure that they say hello and then,
0: and then okay, <laughs> move that's it like away. The, that's like a really good trick right there. Yeah. Wait for that little the extra buzz of electricity. <laughs> Wait for hello and then, and, and and then, then put fry your brain. Okay. Uh, like I'm looking at, I'm looking at the page right now, you know, three steps to detox mercury, um, safest fish guide for superfood. Healthy sweet swaps, how to get the vitamin D up, estrogen mimickers. Okay, let's do this one. That was a big one. Oh my gosh. Okay, estrogen mimickers. That one went viral. Like you've got some great, yeah, you've got some great things going here. BPA. Triclosan,
1: yeah, triclosan okay. and phthalates. Okay, and then another one. Obviously, the, you, there's only so much I can put yeah, on a little on picture, but yes. also glyphosate. So, which is found in pesticides, what they spray on food. So, th- again, more reason to go organic and eat organic foods. And estrogen mimickers is exactly that. Is it can actually mimic estrogen in the body, and this affects. Everyone, men, women, and children, and um can also be the cause of a lot of early onset puberty in children that we're seeing well, today. We're seeing that. My goodness. Right? When
0: like kids are at least hitting puberty two years before exactly where it was that we oh where yeah we were oh yeah like exactly. full on boobs at age mm-hmm. eleven 10.
1: and twelve like yeah. it's 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 crazy yeah it is and it's it's all of these estrogen mimickers that you're finding in oh, day to day but, things right okay
0: I, so I get the aluminum I get the plastic
1: bottles fast food cash register receipt <laughs> yeah. if you ever notice the cash register receipt take just take your finger and kind of like rub it you could kind of mark it that's the um that's the BPA on the cash register receipt. And it can rub off on your hands. And again, what did we say? Skin. Skin. It's Skin. It's it's right it goodness. goes right into
0: circulation. Okay. And then we go into your deodorant, toothpaste, all the stuff. That all of those have yet. triclosan. Yeah. I, I don't mention brands because I don't no, want to. No, there's no brands. I'm not yeah. I'm not doing that. Um, and then unfortunately, where we kind of like this, but our scented candles and our room fresheners.
1: Fragrances. And our, yeah. Yes. Plastic wrap. Yeah. Exactly. Nail polish. Exactly. All of these things, right, that we use on a day-to-day basis. If you're struggling with, if you're struggling with endocrine issues, if you have bad P- women, you know, if you have bad PMS, heavy uh, periods, irregular periods, you know, clearly you're having imbalanced hormonal issues, bad mood swings, tender breasts. Um, start looking at these sources of xenoestrogens that are coming in from everything, all the products that we use. I can see why that one was such a very so popular
0: post. And I just it's amazing cuz I want people bernadette.abraham <laughs> uh to find it on on your social media, but it's some really some great information. Like I'm Thanks. going, th- I can't hit all of these, you. you know, but I'm just like for people who want to be able to share it. and why I found this to be so interesting is that there's a ton of information that's just available for your everyday, kind yeah. of almost like quick tip, yeah. kind of a quick reminder, um, something else. Um, and even to be able to question certain things, like do you want to be gluten free or how to be able to
1: do that? And, mm-hmm. um, okay, I'm going to put this down because like I could just <laughs>
0: keep going and going. And you know, and a lot of,
1: of my content and inspiration comes from my followers. It comes mm-hmm. from people who send me direct messages It comes from conversations that I have with clients, with family, with friends. So it's very real life
0: issues. And do you find you're doing a much more conversations on this? Because I know you train people, right? And so we can go into the exercise, all this stuff. Although I do really believe 80% of everything is what we've all been talking about just now. And the 20% comes down to the physical uh, to the fitness. Do you enjoy that part too still? Well,
1: I've actually stopped doing personal training training. completely. um, Since doing functional medicine, Mm -hmm. I've stopped doing personal training and I'm focusing more on functional medicine and nutritional therapy only because my time allows to be able to help more people that way Mm -hmm. versus going, driving to a client and you know doing the one hour session and so on. Um, and I've, I'm have i able to help people actually worldwide. I have clients all over the world now uh, because there's so much that you can do and so much information that I can get through lab work and functional testing. So I can really help people anywhere and it's really great. Is that the key is, is to understand the
0: blood work? So you want that from from your client to say, okay, what exactly is going on in your body? Yeah.
1: I mean, through subjective forms, health history form, uh, food journal, uh, nutritional assessment questionnaire, uh, based on their symptoms, uh, this is where functional medicine shines is it really it's a puzzle piece, right? And the more information you have about the client, uh, the clearer the picture becomes. And then from that, I can go, okay, you know what? I just need to confirm a few things. Let's get some tests done. And it depends. You know, it might be some stool tests. It might be some blood tests. Uh, it all depends on what the, the client is um, is having issues with. And what's, the, what's your wish? Like, what is the outcome that you're looking for with people? Well, my mission, honestly, is... Um, it's very clear. I mean, it's like a mantra. I wake up in the morning and that's what gets me out of bed is to make a positive impact on people's health on a large scale, make a global impact. And I really feel, I hope that my book, you know, at the last chapter is it's dedicating to uh, dealing with society, you know, the inf- how to deal with the outside influences. And I encourage people to speak up, to um, demand better And I believe if everybody did that, that we really can. You know, money is powerful, and these companies are driven by money. And if the consumer demand changes, they will be forced to change. And I would love for my book to become obsolete. That's ultimately my goal. I don't want to have to educate people about having to know about all of this stuff. Food should just be food. You should be able to just go pick up whatever it is that you please and know that it's healthy for you and not have to worry about all of these artificial ingredients and additives that are allowed right now, that the food manufacturer the food industry has free reign over. So that's my ultimate wish is I want my book to go mm-hmm. obsolete. Do you see yourself moving back from Dubai? Like do you see yourself coming back here? You know, no plans yet. Like um, for your for your for kids, my children when they come back here, do they go, Mom, Dad? Like you know, it's a good it's, reality check for yeah. them uh, because we do live in a bubble in Dubai. Uh, everything is pretty because of the services there. Everything comes handed to them on a silver platter. So, so coming here and them having to make their beds and having to pick up after themselves is a nice reality check. So, <laughs> I like to keep them grounded and. Uh, they will probably come back here or the U.S. to study. So mm-hmm. whether and I joke, I, I tell them I'll probably go to back to university with you because I'm not done studying. <laughs> I'm going to I'm still learning. I'm, I'm aiming to do a Ph.D. still and you know, so I joke with my kids that I'll be going to university with them when they come back here. <laughs> well, it's interesting though, because there is that need. And,
0: and I've had people sitting in this chair that you're sitting in uh, saying like, if you're not constantly educating yourself yeah. and learning, then you're becoming obsolete Yeah, because things change so drastically. Exactly. The information, the processing, how things are happening, uh, the science, you know, yeah. people are, are
1: figuring things out and you have to keep up. Yeah, definitely. And I do definitely dedicate time every day to learn, to learn something. I, I read a lot and I study a lot and I, that is something that I, it's part of my practice every day. Mm-hmm. Well, I've learned a lot today. I'm trying
0: to figure, I, so I'm off to buy parchment paper. <laughs> like I'm trying to think right now, what are the, the basic things Coffee, that, that I'm going to do? That's going to be hard. I just got, <laughs> I just, the like, so big gift for like last Mother's Day was like this beautiful Nespresso machine, right? So I'm just like, okay, well, there are things that I, that really though, like made me think and, and because, um, you know, there's that understanding of, of really what's happening on our skin, like the difference yeah. between what's going in our mouths. And and it's funny because you mentioned this because I just became a brand activist with Temple Sportswear, which is all about toxin-free clothing oh, nice. and sweat and when you're doing everything, right? so. I've opened myself up like I'm thinking broader great. than I think I ever did before. So it's it's really quite interesting. People can find you where because there's I mentioned the Instagram great information, but there's also a ton on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And be, make sure when you go to your website, because you're going to see like a thousand magazine covers <laughs> <laughs> every single like, yeah, it's amazing. Like the the coverage and, and the exposure that you've had there.
1: It's, yeah, it's cool. I, well, again, 14 years I've been there and I have been, you know, I had regular, regular radio sessions. Actually, when I go back, I, somebody's just asked me to do a regular uh, guest appearance mm-hmm. on a radio station there. So hopefully I'll start that up again. So it's there's everything there. So there's have fun. Everything. There's a ton of stuff on, on yeah. the website and people can, that website is? So website is my name, BernadetteAbraham.com. I have a blog as well. Uh, so it's Bernadette Abraham, Um blog.com. It's all connected though. Right. If they go to the main website, yeah. it'll take them to the blog and then Instagram uh, and Facebook. That's where I'm most active. So Bernadette.abraham.
0: Right. So active on, on Instagram, some really great material that's, that, that's waiting for you there. It's so nice to Thank see you. you. Thank you so much yeah. for having and me. And to be great. honest with you, you look the same. So do like you. You. <laughs> <laughs> you look exactly the same. Although I think when, when I was there, I think I had short hair. Because I had short hair all the way up and like yeah, for the well, longest time. A few more time. wrinkles. Yeah, a little bit, we're doing okay. <laughs> uh, I just want to say thanks so much for de- safe travels back too, but thank you enjoy so much. the time that you have with your family. And uh, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Keep in mind, please share, like, subscribe, let people know that you're listening. You can find the podcast pretty much everywhere at this point and also just been added to iHeart. So anyone asks me, like, just type the podcast in. It'll pop up wherever you're listening and really, do appreciate the support. All right, everyone. Have a great day.